Wonderful. Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? Good. It's like the 4th of July weekend. Some of you don't have work Monday, so how are you all doing? There we go. Um, like Jen said, my name is Cameron Harris. Uh, I have the privilege to serve um, with our ministry to college students at Western Washington University Campus Christian Fellowship as one of the pastors there. Um, and I'm really excited to have the privilege this morning uh, to be able to speak here um, and to continue our series on prophets and kings that we've been in for a while. Um, speaking right now is a humbling reminder um, that God is really in control of my life. If you would have asked me years and years ago if I'd ever find myself here um, preaching, I'd tell you that you're crazy. Um, that wasn't my plan, and I'm not really uh, fond of public speaking. Um, so hopefully I do okay. But uh, I realize I've struggled you know, throughout my life to trust that God's in control, uh, that the, he has good things planned for me ahead. And I feared uh, that sometimes his plans may be different than what I wanted or what I expected or could imagine. And I wonder if at times you too have struggled trusting that, that God is in control. Um, do you sometimes have a hard time believing that, that he knows what is best ahead for you? Have you ever found yourself anxiously fighting against God and others um, to, to, to keep control of your world? Do you sometimes have a hard time listening to Jesus' voice when you're thinking about your future? And when I say control, I don't mean the type of uh, control of things that we should be in control of, like your emotions, uh, your, your actions um, morally, and your volition. Uh, so a disclaimer, this is not like saying that uh, we should be passive about life. Um, or to say, well, God is in control, so I don't really have to, to feed the hungry. I don't have to go to, poor, uh, go to work. Or I don't have to pursue um, what is right. I don't have to really do anything. You know, God will just take care of everything. That's not what I'm saying. Um, I'm talking about our lives being a, a closed circuit, a control center, in which we just try to do whatever we want, um, instead of an open circuit in which God is able to help empower us and help guide us and help to, um, direct us. Um, in what's ahead. Well, I know that certainly I um, sometimes have and still do wrestle with these questions of control. I remember in my senior year at Western Washington University, right in my undergraduate, thinking, uh, what am I going to do next? Like, what? What am I going to do next? And this was aided by the constant refrain of others um, asking, Cameron, what are your plans for after graduation? And a little disclaimer, like, uh, that's not a very helpful question to ask a graduating senior. Um, and so I felt like this immense pressure to try to figure out my next move, to set up a more secure future for myself, to carve out a space in the world and say, thus will be. I can do this. This is, this is what it will do. Uh, this is what will happen. And still at the same time, I knew God probably wanted to say something, that he should have the final word, that, that he should be a part of my process and I should seek him in that. And however, though, I realized time was ticking away. There was a lot of ground to cover. And I just couldn't wait to hear something from the Lord. Especially, I don't know if I could bear hearing something that could be different than what I had planned or expected to have been working towards. So I just kept plowing ahead, trying to uh, do applications and trying to confirm um, my plans. So I decided I would, I would join the Peace Corps. I would, I would use my combination of Spanish and human services to build houses for people overseas I would speak Spanish and integrate into a new culture. I would change the world. And I had friends that would gather around me and say, hey, yeah, that's a great idea. 
And I spiritualize it, saying, you know, I'm plunging into a life of serving the Lord and his people, of doing a favor for humanity. Like, I got this. And uh, not all those things are bad. Actually, those things are, are pretty great, actually. It can be exactly what someone's supposed to do. I have some friends I just visited yesterday that I've been doing the Peace Corps in Kyrgyzstan, and just such a joy to see how God's using them there. Um, so that could have been what I was supposed to do. That wasn't the problem. I wasn't pursuing immoral things. The problem was that I wasn't asking the Lord about them or listening well to him. So then, somehow, fast forward a little while, um, against my will, I end up um, at our CCF winter camp. When my friends had um, signed me up and sponsored me, Bobby, the friend that just came back from Kyrgyzstan. And so I found myself there, and I was listening to this powerful series on uh, Gideon, about trusting God. If you don't know, Gideon was a guy in the Old Testament, probably best known for an incident where he pulls out some sheepskin and kind of like prays and asks that it be wet one day and then dry another. Um, And he tests God in this and learns to trust him um, and see how he's in control of everything. Um, It's a really interesting story, and I advise you to read it. Like Here at Hillcrest, we don't really recommend that as like your method of of inquiring of the Lord, um, but it is in the Bible. Um, so, uh, so in through the context of that message, I, I realized that I wasn't really trusting God and didn't really want Him to be fully in control of my life and my future. And then things got a little crazier. I felt strongly that the Lord was trying to speak to me. I heard Him say, "I want you to not go out. I want you to stay here and do the CCF internship." Well, I didn't want to hear that. I love CCF. I was blessed there as a student, but I was ready to go, right? And so I tried to cover up the fact that he had spoken. I thought, ah, Lord, you must, you must be talking to someone else. And yet he persisted, and I felt this nagging, this, this sense of the Lord speaking these things. And, and so I asked him for three incredible signs, uh, and he gave me each one as proof that it was him speaking to me. It was wild. And if you have a question like, what were those signs? What happened? I won't go into them now, but you can ask me after the service. It was pretty cool. Um, I'd love to talk about it. So anyways, after trying not to go to camp, trying to not listen, then trying to not believe what God was saying, I still couldn't get around what he said. And I realized that I could choose to respond to him and trust and surrender my control to him of my future, or I could cling to my own control and perception of what should be and go against his desires. And after... A couple of tears and realizing the implications of if I said no uh, to the Lord, I said, okay, Lord, I'll apply. And as a result, I'm joyfully here today, right? The four years have gone by since then, and I've been incredibly blessed and I've been so um, profoundly moved to see God do incredible things in my life and the lives of others around me, especially students. And I think responding to the Lord in that time and trusting him and trusting his control and his projection of the future was one of the best choices I made. Um, it's led me peacefully to places uh, like I find myself now. So that's a little bit of my story. Hopefully you feel like you have gotten to know me a little more um, and some of my wrestlings. And I wonder, though, what's yours? Where have you struggled to trust God's plans for your life? What do you try to control? Or where do you struggle to surrender to Jesus if he says for you to do something different? and what you've planned. How might you be listening or not to Jesus' voice in the midst of big decisions in your life? 
or to explore these questions, I'd like us to go and look in the Bible uh, at the story of one of the ancient kings of Israel, um, King Ahab. About 3,000 years ago, he was partnering up with the king of Judah to, inquire, uh, to acquire a piece of land called Ramoth-Gilead. Um, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn there to 1 Kings chapter 22. It's about a third of the way through the Old Testament, right before 2 Kings, this last chapter. And we'll read part of his story. The particular verses we'll look at will also be on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you, um, so you can follow along. But I encourage you still uh, to, to go home this week and read the whole chapter. There's some really incredible stuff that happens there, and we'll only jump around the parts of the chapter uh, today. So we'll enter into the conversation in 1 Kings 22, verses 3 to 4, with uh, King Ahab speaking first. The king of Israel had said to his officials, Don't you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us? And we are doing nothing to retake it from the king of Aram. So he asked Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight against Ramoth Gilead? Joseph replied to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. So right here we see King Ahab deciding to take matters into his own hands to finally get what he felt like should have um, already been his, and really could have already been his. Uh, if you followed along in the, in the book, you'd see that um, earlier Israel went to war. Uh, they were being threatened uh, by a different army. They were outnumbered. Um, everything was in chaos. And, and God stepped into their situation. And he, decided, he told them exactly how to fight and when. And he delivered them um, from these rival kings um, and gave them victory and peace. And yet, at the very end, King Ahab, when he was supposed to kill this rival king, uh, doesn't. And he makes a deal with them and, and, and releases him. And part of that deal is that they would get this territory. Um, so now King Ahab's nation is enjoying a period of peace, um, but he preemptively decides to declare war to bolster his position and fix a mistake he had made uh, to get this land. And maybe you're not like an ancient king trying to secure greater control of territories or claim military victories. Actually, I think probably none of you are kings, actually. Um, but perhaps you can still identify with Ahab. Maybe you're a parent trying to secure um, greater control of your household or trying to secure your, your kid's future as they go into the school system. Or maybe you're a student trying to claim victory over tests and secure an academic future for yourself when you know a B on a test can mean not getting into med school or not being able to, to do the things that you feel like you need to do. Or maybe you're a kid trying to have greater control over your friend group um, or sports team because you feel like if, if you can't keep a grasp on those relationships that you'll be forgotten or the insignificant one. Or maybe you're retired and trying to, to better secure investments or control stocks so you can still live really well um, 10 years from now um, and have that kind of security. Or maybe you're a business person um, trying to uh, venture into new contracts and, and grow the prestige of your business so you can be promoted. Um, and you think that's what you need to do. Um, none of those things in themselves are, are bad. Um, but like, what's our motivation? And it begs us to ask the question, like, are we trying to take matters into our own hands? Are we wanting to be in ultimate control? Do we feel like we should already have X, Y, and Z? That there's no time to wait, that we have to make whatever is going to happen, happen. That our schemes ought to work. That though there may be peace now, we have to disturb that peace 
uh, because we need to achieve something more, do something greater. If so, I think we can relate to King Ahab. The story continues in verse 5. We'll read on. But Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, First, seek the counsel of the Lord. So the king of Israel brought together the prophets, about 400 men, and asked them, Shall I go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? Go, they answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. Now this component is very interesting. If you read the chapter, um, it's kind of nuanced. At first it seems like everything is great. Ahab asked God what he should do, and the people said, God said, cool, it's good, go for it. However, I think it's important to acknowledge the context and process in this passage. Ahab didn't ask God first what he should do. He decided first what he'd do. Then, prompted by another person, he decides to inquire of God, which really doesn't mean he asked God at all. What he really did was he just went through kind of the spiritual rituals. He got a bunch of bogus pagan prophets along with him that weren't really prophets of Yahweh. They were yes-men of the king. And he asked them what, what he should do, really just awaiting their affirmation. Now, this was certainly not a best practice, especially for a king of Israel. Uh, if you know a little bit about the kings, like God was supposed to tell them what to do unsolicited at times. Uh, or they're supposed to ask God what they should do, especially in regards to major uh, matters of the, of the state, especially in regards to battles um, and military strategy. Like even, even the pagan kings would do this. They would regularly inquire of their gods before any military strategies were implemented, not after. And also, like, think about it. If you get like hundreds of people with you and they're all like, yeah, yeah, um, to something that could have pretty major uh, consequences, they must not be really critical people, right? But the thing is, once someone has made up their mind for something, especially their position of power, it's usually general, pretty difficult for a general bystander to disagree with them. I bet you, like I can think of that casual friend uh, that's come up to you excited saying, hey, hey, I'm really supposed to do this. Like, right? And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Not only, like, unthoughtfully. Or maybe you have been that person who's gathered around you people uh, who are most likely to agree with you so that you can present the idea that you have actually just awaiting their affirmation. Basically, Ahab is not really seeking advice here. He's seeking affirmation and a way to bolster and spiritualize his decision. I wonder if we often don't do the same. Have you ever used God? to try to bolster your sense of confidence in the decision, or to try to maintain control of a situation. As a campus pastor, I've heard way too many times things like, uh, I really think God wants me to date this person. Or better yet, uh, I think God wants me to break up with this person, which is typically followed by, what do you think? After they've already made up their mind. And it's kind of comical, because how am I supposed to respond to that? Right? They, they just pulled out the God card, and I don't really have another card that trumps that. So I just like am like, well, are you sure you heard from the Lord? What do you think? Right? Um, or I rebuke them. But uh, I want you to hear, like, that's kind of crazy, but there are certainly situations uh, where God certainly does tell people what to do in relationships. 
Um, and I think that's most often backed by good counsel and wisdom of others. Um, but I think when I hear this from students most often, I don't think it's because they had a revelation from the Lord or they have a strong conviction from him. I think it's because they, they, they feel something, they want to do something, and so they feel like they should justify it with God. It's kind of like the classic scenario, have you ever heard this, of someone doing something really questionable that they really want to do, and then they kind of tag on to the end, well, I prayed about it, which of course instantly makes it okay, right? Um, or perhaps, like, you know, there's been times when people have, like, selfishly pursued, pursued different adventures and travel and, and fun like that, and they say, well, it's, it's for missions, you know, it's spiritualized, so it's, you know, it's totally fine. Don't question my motives. But what I'm trying to say is, is that rather than let God help make decisions, I think we often try to use God to add like a stamp of approval for our plans. Or we take decisions that we've already made and we just kind of tag God along onto them so that they seem stronger, better, or more palatable to others. I don't think we're supposed to do that. So let's continue to read this story and see kind of what happens. Verses 7 through 9 will go on. But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there not a prophet of the Lord who we can inquire of? The king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, There is still one man whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He's Micaiah, son of Imlach. The king should not say that, Jehoshaphat said. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, Bring Micaiah, son of Imlah, at once. So Micaiah, a true prophet of the Lord, enters in. After acting like he's confirming what everyone else says, the king of Israel calls BS on him. He's like, you're not telling me the truth because you always say something different. And so Micaiah decides to tell the truth. And from him we hear in verses 17 and also 20, which we'll read. Then Micaiah answered, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like a sheep without the shepherd. And the Lord said, These people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there? Whoa. We see here that there's some bad news for Ahab that is contrary to what he thought or desired. Micaiah is saying that Ahab will be killed if he goes into battle and his army will be routed to have to flee leaderless. At this point, Ahab is confronted with a hard reality that God's plans may actually be different than his. So he has to wrestle with him if he wants to accept that or not, if he wants to acknowledge what the Lord may be saying or not. And unfortunately, Ahab doesn't really want to believe it, so he shuts out God's voice to the prophet by sending him to prison. And I fear often we may do the same. When we read scripture or hear from the Lord in prayer or listen to the counsel of godly people in our lives, do we accept God's vision and the reality that he is trying to instruct us in? Do we realize that he's in control? Or do we try to ignore it and retain our own perception of control? I admit, it is certainly hard to be confronted with uh, realities of our future or present circumstances that are different than our hopes. And it's understandable to really struggle. Maybe you've been disappointed over a drastic change in your health or relationships, or you've gotten denials instead of acceptance letters to universities, or you've 
not got that promotion at work that you really felt like you deserved and were hoping for. And maybe you've been hearing the Lord say, that's not for you now. I have other things for you. Trust me, I'm in control. There's good things in store. But isn't it so hard to trust him and to believe that he's in control? I think it's really frustrating uh, to realize that God may be up to something different than what we had planned and to see our plans being flustered. Yeah, something we need, which I think Ahab lacked, is real humility and trust to let God have the final word. We need to live in him being in response and control of our destiny. We need to know that he is in control and to let things that are outside of our control be left in his capable and caring hands. So let's see what happens next in the story. We'll go to verses 29 and 30 now. They read, So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will, dis- I will enter into the battle in disguise, but you wear your royal robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. I heard a little bit of chuckles, because like, seriously? Like, is that going to work? Like, apparently, he thought so. Like, Though appropriately warned by the word of God through a prophet, King Ahab still decides to say, like, hey, I'm going to go to battle anyways. And if this prophecy is true, I got it covered. I'll just disguise myself and go into battle. No one will ever know. I'll be completely fine. It's just that easy. But that's kind of ludicrous, don't you think? That's a little ridiculous to think that he could just sidestep God like that. It'd be something like maybe a situation in saying, like, hey, I'm, like, 18, um, and I've been invited to this party to go and drink and stuff, and some of my friends are going to be there who know my mom, but, uh, but you know, I could get in trouble, get a minor possession, but I really want to go, and I'm going to drink and stuff like that. So it's totally cool. Like, I got this. They won't even recognize me. I'm just going to go, right? Like, no, don't, don't do that. That's, that makes no sense. That wouldn't be wise, and I don't think that would work. But Ahab did that kind of thing. He tried to get against, uh, go around God's word and the reality of what he had uh, warned him, and he tried to just stay in control, to take a shortcut, um, to, to make it still work out for himself. And I wonder if we sometimes do the same. How often do you try to sidestep God and act as if you're still in control? Perhaps the Lord has called you to not enter into a certain relationship. But you think, well, I mean, if I don't tell anyone about it, then it's totally fine. Like, I can do it. Or maybe you've actually been called out of an abusive relationship, but you're deciding to cover up the scars and the pains of that while still hoping it'll work out. Or maybe the Lord has called you to forgive someone, but you're making excuses like, well, I never really see him anyways, or I was really nice to him last time I saw them. Or maybe the Lord is calling you to tithe or give to missions abundantly. But you decide to like secretly spend your money before looking at your bank account so that when you do, you can say, look, Lord, I don't really have much to give. I can't do that. Or maybe you've been struggling with something like anxiety and depression, and the Lord wants you to tell those around you, let them in your process, and take medication, but instead you've been keeping it a secret and trying to, to manage your medication and things yourself without anyone ever knowing. You know, it is really natural to not want to admit that we're helpless or confused or powerless or weak. So, it can be really tempting to try to cover up 
things or try to find shortcuts around things that we know aren't exactly what would be right. We can tip to stay in control of our lives or situations with little fixes, amendments, or tricks that we hope will bring about the outcomes that we still desire. However, the problem is that we are not more clever than God, and we are only human. Our feeble attempts will ultimately exhaust us and only leave us short of the purposes that the Lord has in mind for those who trust him. So let's finish up the story in verses 34 through 36. Uh, so a little um, backstory. The battle had just begun, and the king of Aram tells his 32 chariot commanders to look for and fight only the king of Israel. And so initially it looks like Ahab's scheme is working out because the, the charioteers first go after Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, but then they realize he's uh, not the guy, and they retract. Um, and this part of the story, it's not in the slides or whatever, so I'll just read it, um, because I just think it's so funny. Um, so it's verses 32 through 33, and this is like the story of the dual charioteers. When the chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat, they thought, surely this is the king of Israel. So they turned to attack him. When Jehoshaphat cried out, the chariot commanders saw that he was not the king of Israel and stopped pursuing him. I just laugh out loud every time I read that. I don't know why. Because I just get like distracted with like trying to picture that scene. Like Think of like some war movie or something like that. You're in the midst of battle. There's these elite warriors, like on horses, like going after this guy because they're like, he's wearing robes, he's the king, we've got to kill him. And he is a king, and he is the rival, one of the rival kings, and they probably should kill him. And so they're going after him, and then somehow they're like, oh, wrong dude, stop the horses, turn it around, we got to, uh, nope, don't go after him, sorry, dude. I mean, like, how did that go down? Like, I was just thinking, like, did Jehoshaphat, before he went into the battle, be like, oh, Ahab said, he's not going to wear robes. I will. They might think I'm him. I should wear a huge name tag that says Jehoshaphat. And so they're like riding their chariots. They get pretty close. They're like, oh, that's Jehoshaphat. Just playing, man. Sorry. And they go like looking for Ahab. Or was it like Jehoshaphat like cries out after they get close to him and he's like, they're going to kill me. Oh my, I'm Jehoshaphat. I'm Jehoshaphat. Uh, don't kill me. I'll make a deal with you. Ahab, he's somewhere over there. And they're like, Oh, wimpy guy. Okay, we're not going to go after him. Like, I don't know. Like, if you have thoughts, I'd love to hear how you think that went down. Because I just think it's so fascinating uh, that that went down. And, like, the scripture is true, um, but it doesn't give us a lot of the details. Um, but anyways, now we'll go to part that's actually relevant to what we're talking about. Um, which is uh, later in verse 34. Um, and so we'll have that text on the screen. It says... But then someone drew his bow at random and hit the king of Israel between the sections of armor. The king told his chariot driver, wheel around and get me out of the fighting. I've been wounded. All day long the battle raged, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Armenians. The blood from his wound ran down onto the floor of the chariot, and that evening he died. As the sun was setting, a cry spread through the army. Every man to his town, everyone to his land. Well, we see that in the end, there was no way around what God had foretold. God's purposes prevail, and his words are always true. King Ahab dies because he went into battle, despite his adventurous efforts to conceal his identity. The army that he led is routed, 
and left to flee without a leader back home. Israel is left without acquiring Ramoth Gilead and falls back into hostile times of war. God cannot be mocked. Ahab didn't listen, and he didn't acknowledge who was really in control, and it cost him his life and the kingdom of Israel its peace. And I've realized I often don't like to admit that God is in control unless I'm forced to. And I wonder if you may be anything like that. Until consequences kick in, it's often easier to, to deny that we've been wrong or that we haven't quite figured everything out all right. I wonder if it will take like a failing a final test to think, well, maybe I should have trusted God, you know, through the advice of my parents, telling me I should go to bed earlier, I should study more, not stay up late with my friends, and like, you know, um, do energy drinks every morning, and thinking, oh, yeah, that's fine, I totally got this, and then you get like an F on your test. Or I wonder if it will take like an unfranked pregnancy, maybe, or STD, to think, man, maybe I should have listened to God's word about not engaging in premarital sex and thinking, I, I got this. I'm in charge of my sexuality and my sexual ventures, and, and if I use the right protection and stuff, I'll be totally fine. Or maybe it'll take like a dump portfolio to realize, man, I shouldn't have taken such risky investment options uh, to try to get rich quicker. I could have actually listened to my trusted counselors and friends uh, and what they were telling me. Or will it maybe take like a spouse walking out to realize, man, I should have apologized and sought forgiveness with my spouse, like the Lord was nagging me to do and put on my heart. But I thought, oh, no, no, it's, it, it'll be good enough to just get some flowers and to come home earlier sometimes. Friends, God is trying to save us from heartbreak, pain, and destruction. He wants us to trust him and to not have to try to control our lives because our lives controlled based out of our own strength and wisdom often lead us to places of hurt because our ways most often fail, and his don't. Often disasters like this story cause us to see that God is in control, and we ultimately are our only uh, part-time drivers of our destinies. We're not the only ones. And I don't think disaster needs to strike for us to, to walk in a yielding trust of Jesus. Uh, God always wants to bless us. He doesn't want to doom us. And I think that we should see that him being in ultimate control is a grace for us. It should be a comfort in our reality. So the real tragedy in the story is that God, that Ahab didn't see how gracious God really was. I mean, Ahab, think of the story, Ahab, without even seeking God, has God, you know, God makes a way in that to still tell Ahab the results of the battle and to warn him not to go into it to save his life. And also, God already wanted to give Ahab and Israel Ramoth Gilead, if you read the, the whole book, he had already given them a great military victory in the past. He had brought uh, peace for Israel, and he really wanted to preserve that. He desired to bless those people. Um, but they didn't want to acknowledge God or rejoice in the fact that he could be in charge, and they didn't have to be. Instead, those like Ahab still wanted to be in charge, even when it was stressful, difficult, or dangerous, even when it led to their demise. But I wonder, what would it have been like if Ahab would have just released his grip and be like, ah, that battle, not so important. I don't have to do that. What if he would have just surrendered his plans? What if he would have settled into the posture of saying, whatever you say, Lord, like, let it be so. I'm going to trust you in this. 
Can you imagine the relief and the freedom he'd experience to not have to go into that battle, to not have to be shot by some straight arrow and like bleeding out in his chariot, to maybe be able to sit home and see this narrow wind of the Lord protecting his borders? And I wonder, what would it feel like for you if you just let go of that thing that you have so much anxiety over controlling in your life? What if you just released it to the Lord, knowing that he's in control and he can handle it? What freedom, what peace, what comfort could that have for you and not having to carry that burden anymore? And not having to scheme about how to make this thing work? Not having to sit in anxious places alone, but to have the Lord's voice in that, to have the Lord direct you in that? The Lord in control of that. This is really Jesus' heart towards you. To submit to him, to trust him, to follow him, to let him be in control, to figure things out, to ultimately let him carry the load of your destiny. And I think this is a great basis of relief. I think Jesus is inviting us to say yes to him, to inquire what he desires for our lives, to surrender our control and desires to his greater realities of the future, and even of right now. So the main question I want to ask is, will you yield control of your life and circumstances to him? It's a hard question. And I found that when I have, it's always been worth it. I'm going to invite the worship team up as I give a couple of prompts for things to reflect on um, over the next couple of minutes. One is that perhaps you wouldn't call yourself a Christian yet or a Jesus follower. And maybe you're trying to decide if it's better to do your own thing and figure out life yourself or to somehow let Jesus lead your life. And being someone who's been in that spot before, I think I can confidently say that it's it's better to let Jesus in to help control and lead your life. And I think that there's millions of Christians across thousands of years that would testify to this same. So I encourage you to give up the stress of having to figure out life uh, and your place in the universe alone, and to let the Lord into that. And if you want to know how to do that or have things you want to talk about about that, I'll be up here at the service and love to chat with you. Or perhaps today you've been following Jesus for a while, and you're aware that there may be some areas in your life that you're still trying to work out around the truth or reality of what you feel like the Lord has been calling you to or, or, or what he may be saying. Because you're still trying to get at what, what you want and trying to do it your way. I encourage you to take maybe half an hour this week to to clearly name these things and to pray through them, to pray prayers of repentance. Then maybe spend some time journaling and talking with friends about ways that you can embrace uh, to better trust God in these areas of your life. Or perhaps, you know, you've been doing life pretty well and and you've realized that you've just been making decisions and living life pretty independently and you really have no real practice of inquiring of the Lord. You don't even know how how to do that. I encourage you then to maybe spend some time reading the scriptures each day this next week. Maybe, you know, read some Proverbs or parts of the Gospels and ask the Lord about particular decisions in your life. And I wonder if then you may begin to see warnings of pitfalls or encouragements for difficulties or words of affirmation to build your confidence in what he may have for you ahead. Or perhaps you feel you're in a good place with allowing God to be in control, listening to and trusting Jesus and you feel like most areas of your life, like you're, you're, you're doing that, you're striving to do that pretty well. I encourage you then to spend some time this week reflecting on Jesus' relationship to the Father, to how when Jesus came, he gave up full control of his life to the Father's will and his plan. 
maybe spend some time reading the gospel and admiring just how Jesus was so intimately connected with the Father, how good, how blessed that relationship was, and how the Lord just is in that in the same way towards you, and to just thank him for that. Well, all in all, I hope that those are some good things to reflect on, maybe some good action points for this week. Um, I want you to walk away encouraged and I hope relieved um, because the scripture is not meant to like beat us up or be like, ah, this Ahab dies, we're all going to die or something. It's actually meant to encourage um, and help us see how good the Lord is, how much better, how much freer, how much more rich of a way of life there is um, when we really uh, embrace him. And so I hope you'll walk away excited to know that this is the God of self-giving love who desires to sit on the throne of your life. And there's no better one to have control of our destinies or our world than our Lord God. And he's shown this through his son Jesus, and he works in this way through us by his spirit. And so the worship team is going to play, and I'll um, just give you some time to maybe reflect on some of those things and ask the Lord, like, what are some areas that I may be struggling with control in my life? And what do you want to speak into those, Lord?